G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about the very controversial issue, uh, domestic violence and the Christian church. You might recall that last week the ABC featured an online article and then coverage on the 7.30 report, the report written by journalists Julia Baird and Hayley Gleeson, has been widely criticised since then by conservative commentators as being an attack on Christian churches. Another hatchet job, as one commentator called it. Then the likes of conservative commentator Andrew Bolt, who gave it the thumbs down, he suggested the opposite is true about the Christian church, with the idea that the Christian church actually saves women from abuse. Well, we can get into this conversation today and I'll invite you to be a part of it. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We're going to talk through some of these issues today. Our special guest, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. He's Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance, Centre for Christianity and Society. Gordon is also priest in charge at Yarraville Anglican Parish in Melbourne. He is Chair and Executive Member of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee and Director at the University of Divinity Centre for Research in Religion and Social Policy. So he's across the issues, been following these things as they've been unfolding and uh, you can be a part of our conversation today. But a special welcome to 2020 uh, to you, Dr Gordon Priest. Thanks, Neil. Gordon, always enjoy our conversations. Uh, They always take on a certain objective level when it comes to the sorts of emotive things that people might say about a lot of different topics. And this is one of those topics that could become emotive. And there may be listeners who'll call in uh, with some emotive responses to what we talk about. But let's talk about it anyway and bring some biblical and common sense wisdom to the idea talking about the church and domestic violence. Uh, first of all, Gordon, your thoughts on the developments. You've been following these things as they've been on the television. They've been uh, written about online. There's been defences and there's been all sorts of people joining in the debate. How are you feeling about the developments so far? Oh, look, it's it's... It's very mixed feelings, and I think for lots of Christians, they probably feel that way. Um, uh, yeah, I think that the blowtorch has been turned on the church in some ways, but I think it needs to be looked at in a, in a broader context. So I think um, there's a broader context going on in society of, of greater accountability for all institutions and, um, and, a, and a shift from the kind of volunteer sort of activity that was often untrained right down to your church faith now you have to or your school faith you have to have the ingredients or if there happen to be peanuts because it could trigger a peanut attack you know like an anaphylactic attack for someone so it's it there's a broader kind of thing that's going on in in society um but i think particularly for the church we've we've got to look at the domestic violence issue in the wake of the sexual abuse 
crisis and the fact that the church didn't handle that very well at all. And it, and it wasn't just, you know, particularly for the Catholic Church, but not exclusively the Catholic Church, it was other churches too, um, that, it, that it happened, but that there, it was covered up. And um, the society is often very forgiving, like football players and that, you know, sexual misdemeanors and various other sorts of things. So if they own up, um, you know, there's, there's often a way back in um, if, they're, if they're dealt with and they're, and, and they're trained and they're disciplined, etc., etc., um, but if you cover up, there's, there's not much forgiveness. And I think um, there are great dangers when we, when we try and cover up um, or move people on, etc., etc. Um, uh, I think most of the churches now have, have really put in um, uh, practices and training, like I was a professional standards uh, training, full day on, on Monday um, with a lawyer, and um, we were taken through all of the all of the different issues, and it was extremely extensive. And there's a massive paperwork that we um, take home um, as as Anglican ministers, and it's um, it's it's a it's a big challenge. But the church has started to respond in terms of that. I think we've also started to respond in terms of prevention of violence against women, but it's sorry um, and families. Um, we have a prevention of violence against women project in the Melbourne Anglican Diocese, but those things don't get much publicity. Um, that wasn't mentioned in the original report. It, uh, I have seen it mentioned in, in in some later reporting. I think in regard on online in regards to the ABC, one of our bishops was interviewed with regard to that. Um, but I, I think. Um, Overall, I think it's it's part of an ongoing challenge to the churches how to upgrade our processes of accountability, our training, for instance, for our religious educators um, in an increasingly pluralistic society and one that has much greater accountability and where there's very little line between, the, if you like, the private and the public now. Um, social media has effectively wiped out that line in many ways. So that's a, that's a big challenge for us um, in terms of how to be really scrupulous, really careful about our training, um, to really be above reproach in relationship to those issues. How interesting and important would it be, Gordon, uh, for us to take a... A biblical, what I would call a biblical humility on this sort of position, even though there might be people writing uh, and, you know, it's questionable even the uh, statistics used and the arguments used. Uh, and, you know, you can talk about a hatchet job on the church, an attack on the church, but uh, isn't, it, uh, isn't it almost exciting to be able to respond to that sort of thing, recognizing that yes, it it is a hatchet job. It's it's an attack as somebody uh, firing their ammunition at the church. But to actually then, uh, in some sense, uh, take that uh, on the chin and humbly uh, allow the blowtorch to be to be pointed at the church and to, in a pastoral sense, say, yes, of course there are issues that are being dealt with here and we need to take a humble approach to the way that we talk about those issues of domestic violence that go on uh, within the church. Yeah, I think we've, 
I think the image of taking it on a chin is, is, is fair enough, and uh, the blowtorch as well. But I think we, we probably need to apply the blowtorch to ourselves in the first place. I, I think the way modern societies work often is your institutions are given a certain amount of liberty to be self-policing, but if they're not self-policing, if they don't apply the blowtorch themselves, then it will inevitably um, get applied to them. And so I think we... And, and there's a kind of... Um, increase of democracy it's a kind of digital democracy in some ways in the way things are operating so um pragmatically you're never going to be able to cover things up it's always going to come out so it's frankly stupid to try and cover up um even if you say oh well we've got to protect the church we've got to protect the gospel etc etc in the end um our attitude ought to be a bit like spurgeon he said something like uh, the great 19th century preacher he said um Defend the Bible, I'd, I'd sooner defend a lion. And I think we, we need to, to um, believe that the gospel is the truth and um, we don't need to kind of sort of def- try and defend or cover up the church um, in any way. We need to basically um, let the truth come out. We need to live in the light, as 1 John says, and, um, and to confess um, in Anglican churches, we, we often say the, the prayer of confession, um, and you know, we're, we're sort of exhorted to confess, and you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will for, forgive our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think it's that living in the light, and living transparently, it's not talking about being perfect, but owning up to, to um, when we do stuff up, and um, and and then really seek to to respond and to and to act and to um, make reparation to to as far as possible. Um, sometimes it's just not possible, but to do that as 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 far as possible, like Zacchaeus, you know, he he robbed people. Um, he then offered to with his tax collecting. Um, he he then offered to pay back. I think about four times as as much. And I think we need to be. Yeah, not to be seen dragging our feet or trying to, you know, cut our losses, etc., etc. I think we've we've got to take it on the chin in relationship with these kinds of issues. Gordon, let's see if we can get some context because there were some statistics on men who are per- perpetrators of domestic violence. Uh, based on some research that was quoted by uh, researcher Stephen Tracy, uh, you might be across some of those, but this is apart from the idea of comparison of domestic violence in Christian churches with uh, what uh, others have said, well, the biggest instances of domestic violence in the country are happening in Aboriginal communities. And then there are those who will make the comparison and say, well, you can't compare the, compare the church uh, so far as domestic violence goes with uh, some other world religions. And uh, some people have named the religion of Islam and uh, almost as condoning uh, domestic violence. But let's talk about some of those figures uh, for people that go to church and people that don't or people that occasionally do because the spotlight was put on those who sporadically go to church. I'm talking about men here. Mm-hmm. Uh, never going to church, uh, the uh, the statistics say uh, 11.2%. For those who occasionally go to church, 6.2%. And then those who are regularly going to church, down as low as 2.2%. So the spotlight and the blowtorch is on the church, but what do those sorts of figures say to you, Gordon? 
Right. Um, well, first of all, can I say a little bit just to put things in, in context um, in terms of how we ought to respond to things? I, I think in the first place, um, before we sort of get into sort of apologetic issues in some ways, I think we've got to apologise. I think that's the first thing we've got to do. Um, uh, because even 2.2% is 2.2% too much in the, in yep. the end. Yep. Um, and if there's another 6.2% who are sort of associated with us in some way occasional, um, and I'm not sure the exact, um, what occasional actually means. These, these days people talk about, you know, regular churchgoers monthly, um, fortnightly or monthly. Um, but, um, and then they never, never go to church 11.2%. Certainly that, those figures do put things in some context. Um, and and I, I quoted them um, myself to the to our own, own church because you know you, you could think you know that the, the church is full of you know wife bashers and and um, and abusers etc etc. Um, so I I think this, those stats need to be put um, out there as some kind of balance, and I think there needs to also be recognised that um, in the global problem. Of violence against women, which is a, as Elaine Storkey, the, the Christian sociologist, says in her, her book um, "Scars, um, Scars Across Humanity," um, it, it's just an enormous problem right across the right across the board. But um, you know, in Hinduism, in in India, it's it's shocking. Um, the the levels are just um, outrageous there. Um, you know, there's the comparisons with. Islam does actually have in the Quran. It does actually have a, a command that does actually allow um, that allows men to to beat wives, and um, there's nothing like that in in the Bible. Um, it's a very different um, kind of thing. Even even something as shocking in the Old Testament as where a rebellious son um, that can be a capital crime. Um, one of the reasons why it's, it, it was capital crime then, and obviously that doesn't carry over into the New Testament, but um, compared with the wider world, they never mentioned the, the women. The, the, um, it was obedience to, to the father, basically, in the wider world at that time. But in the Bible, it's obeying father and mother, and it was particularly a rebellious son who might well be engaged in domestic violence against the mother. So that... So um, I only read that quote quite recently um, in, a, in a book on marriage, family, and, and relationships from a range of biblical scholars. So in, in, in that sense, the Bible was ahead of the, of the wider world. Um, now, I think in terms of um, our broader situation with the research, there's been a call in the conversation, which is a... Um, that's a a website that basically puts out university research information. And it raises the issue that most of the, the research in, in that is being cited goes back about 20 years in the American context. And, and there are big differences between the US and Australia, um, particularly the, the numbers of kind of nominal attenders in the US and uh, the, the researcher... Um, who was cited has apparently um, stated that that there's a there's quite a big big difference. Like something like fifty to sixty percent of Americans say that they've been born again, and now a lot of that's very kind of nominal and and they're not regular churchgoers. But um, that means that there's a lot more um, in 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 
in America who go for reasons of respectability, etc. Um, not many people go to church for reasons of respectability in Australia. Nonetheless, we've, we've got a problem, and um, if it's 2.2% who regularly go to church, that is still a problem. Um, I have about 50 on a regular Sunday at, at, at my church. Well, that means there's probably one person who's, who's a perpetrator. Um, um, I, I sort of said to my church, don't think that we're immune from this. You know, these things can happen. Um, these things happen through nice people. Um, you know the experience where you have with um, a, a couple suddenly announced that they're divorcing? You know, like we, we heard that recently. We're absolutely shocked. Um, and in, and you, you think the relationship's all okay, they're such a nice couple, etc., etc. But people are, and families are very good at, you know, projecting a nice face out into the community and to church. And I think we need to recognise that this sort of stuff does go on sort of in the dark, behind closed walls, etc. And, um, and we need to try and really... Um, do what's right by the victims and um, really uh, train our people well and to be putting good processes of accountability and to commend the cause, the, the, the cause of Christ. Can I, can I just give a, a particular example of where... where um, this is a, an example of, of the effect of Christianity worldwide. Um, this is by Brusco, B-R-U-S-C-O, Bill Muhlenberg cites her... Um, and she, she talks, in, and in a representative way, in regards to Latin American Pentecostalism and the effect on family relationships, and says the, that with conversion, machismo, you know, like when we talk about macho here, mm-hmm. well, machismo, the you know, male, kind of pretty wild, tough guy image, is replaced by evangelical belief as the main determinant of husband-wife relations. The machismo role and the male role defined by evangelicalism are almost diametrical opposites. Aggression, violence, pride, self-indulgence and an individualistic orientation in the public sphere are replaced by peacemaking, humility, self-restraint and a collective orientation and identity with the church and the home. And, and it goes on to say, you know, what a huge difference this makes in family life. And that's what we want to see, and, uh, and we want to see it, you know, in our in our Western families as well, in our church church families. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. You can join in our conversation. The talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. We're talking about the church. And domestic violence today, our special guest, Dr. Gordon Priest, is Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, and talking through things from quite a high level today. And uh, Gordon, you hold uh, quite significant respect, especially within the Anglican Church, to speak on issues like this. When we talk about domestic violence and the Bible, uh, there's no excuse for domestic violence, is there? It's not condoned in the Bible at all. Yeah, there's no, there's no um, real hint of, of it being encouraged in, in, in any way. It's simply, it's simply out. So anyone who tries to rationalise things by extension, um, whether saying that, uh, well, I'm the, I'm the head of the house, etc., or to the woman, you've got to obey me, um, you know, dragging them around the floor um, by the hair. I've, I've read of 
of accounts of that kind of thing going on. Um, that's basically a, just rationalising their own power trip rather than rather than um, really reading the Bible. Um, people are basically distorting scripture. Um, they're using it as a pretext, a, a, a text um, sort of taken out of context, used as a pretext to justify their own um, power lust. And, um, and, and that's, a, that's a dreadful thing. And I think we need to try and make very clear when we're preaching and teaching that certain interpretations are out. Um, they are misinterpretations and, um, and they should not be used in any way as rationalisations for something like domestic violence. You were talking about that concept of machismo, this sort of macho image of masculinity. And the contrast, of course, is the image of masculinity that we get when we are followers of Christ. When you have this other image that is shaping young men in a society, you do then mix that in with a little bit of uh, evangelical Christianity or whatever, uh, you've got this issue of male control and uh, and somehow or other it has to be massaged out. But what are your thoughts on, on issues of male control and, and, and the, the, uh, the concepts that seem to shape the society? Well, I think um, it's, it's pretty much a universal kind of um, phenomenon of male control uh, right across the right across the world, and and we see uh, a, a lot of damage being done in terms of that. And um, I, I mentioned Elaine Storkey before, and um, and the damage is done to to women from womb to tomb. You know, like you can talk about um, things like the, the the rates of females being aborted um, in sex selection abortion in India. Um, in, in places where there, um, there are massive um, distortions between the sex ratio now be, because of that. Um, there's female genital circumcision. There are, there are a range of, of practices, you know, and, and, and in our society there's very unequal pay rates and things like that. Um, and, um, and, and you do get people using their their sense of control, not not only in terms of physical violence, but to con- say control the purse strings of the family, to um, you know put the, the the wife and the children on a kind of drip feed um, in terms of in terms of money. Um, uh, there are ways in which there can be forms of manipulation and and control that are not just physical violence, and those things often prepare the way. And so in our churches, we ought to be wary when we see people operating like that. Now, um, it's, there's also verbal violence. Now, this can be both male and, and female, and, 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 and by and large, women tend to be a fair bit more articulate than, than, than men. But, um, but I've certainly seen, um, I remember one episode when I was a young um, minister of my first parish in charge, this is 30-something years ago, and being out to lunch with parishioners, um, uh, with someone who's highly um, educated professional, and they just started tearing strips off the wife in front of us um, for maybe she didn't do something right with the meal or, or whatever. And I think I was so shocked, I just didn't know how to react. 
I look I look back on that with with real regret, but I was simply just blew me away. I just couldn't believe what went on. Now they um, they've since um, been divorced, and um, but you know I would wonder what may have gone on beyond that, um, given that level of verbal violence, and. Um, and you know, and, I, and if that was the ongoing way in which that relationship went on, then I think there, there would have been good grounds in the end for for divorce, in relationship to that. Uh, just a couple of minutes out from news, Gordon, but there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, this masculinity, uh, control, uh, these ideas actually pass from generation to generation, and uh, we learn about being a man from our fathers. And uh, and uh, sometimes uh, we're not learning great principles. Uh, those things have to be brought into an alignment with uh, a Christian masculinity to get them on the right track. Yeah, I think that um, we almost need to be reparented in some ways, in in line um, with with God's fatherhood and uh, and and God's kind of motherly care for creation and. And and Jesus is a model. Like Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You know, he 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 wept. Um, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. You know, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. I often preach on that for for funerals. And so that's that's not machismo or or, or macho kind of behaviour. And we we need to really get our models um, from from Christ. And, and, and that goes particularly for headship. Now, news is coming up and it's a, that opens up a whole other area. But when people talk about the male being the head, the, the, the fact is that Paul talks about um, headship in relationship to Christ and Christ's sacrifice of himself. He's, he's giving himself up voluntarily to die for the whole world and he's loving the whole world. And that's meant to be the kind of model that um, that we're meant to meant to follow. Um, and we can and talk some more about headship after the news. But as we talked about this past hour, 2.2% domestic violence in churchgoers is 2.2% too much. Uh, you might have your own thoughts. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest with us on 2020 today, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest, who is Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. He's also a priest in charge at Yarraville Anglican Parish in Melbourne. He's Chair and Executive Member of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee. He's Director too at the University of Divinity Centre for Research in Religion and Social Policy. So across the issues as they have been unfolding so far as the church and domestic violence goes. Uh, Gordon, let me ask you about one of those issues that sometimes people have a problem with, and uh, perhaps even more modern feminists, the idea that headship is an issue when it comes to Christian marriages, Christian families. What are your thoughts about the issue of headship, and is there a contributing factor in that idea when it comes to these issues of domestic violence? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to work out what, what head means. And um, people often think of it as like a headmaster, so an authority or a decision maker, etc., etc. Um, but I think when we look at it in context, the Bible tends to be speaking m- much more about mutuality than um, a one-way 
flow of authority, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, some, a more moderate view tends to say, well, yes, things are pretty much mutual until there's a disagreement. There's a disagreement that you can't sort out, then it's like the, the man is the chair of the board and, um, and has the casting vote at that particular time. That's C.S. Lewis's line. I suspect that was probably before he, he met Joy Davidman. He was very much a kind of, you know, part of a boys' club in some ways, um, Lewis. But when he met Joy Davidman, she was a very strong, strong woman. Um, and uh, I suspect his, his view may have modified um, after that. Um, and I also think marriage marriage isn't like a board meeting. Like, um, it's not very intimate. Um, and uh, you might be a bit bored if, you, if your marriage was like a board meeting. Um, taking minutes all the time. Let me just, uh, let me chime in with my thoughts uh, and uh, open to your reflection. Uh, The idea, and sometimes we look at illustrations, uh, analogies, uh, the idea of a couple dancing on a dance floor and perhaps a more old-time dance, but but usually uh, in that circumstance uh, you have a, a male who leads. Now you've got two equal partners but without a lead, you have complete chaos on a dance floor. Uh, that's uh, one way of, uh, of describing that. Is that a fair enough sort of uh, uh, illustration? Um, look, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's one way of looking at it, and, and some people will take that kind of view. Um, um, I sometimes say the, um, the, the, the way the Trinity operates, and, and that's often used as a model, and some people use it as a model of headship. They say the father is the head. Now, I, I don't buy that, not in the way Paul uses it. I think the language is more a source rather than the authority. Um, but that, a bit like a square dance, you kind of take take turns, um, and and it's almost taking turns in terms of the lead in the way that kind of operates. Um, it's not dependent on one or the other. Um, same as I've written books with, I've co-authored books, and um, there are different ways in which you can do that. But you can, yeah, you can have separate chapters or you write it together, um, but it's, it's usually doesn't come down to someone having the final, final say. Even when I've, I've written books with someone who's actually quite senior to me um, in the way we, we did that, um, but I know that some some people will will take that view. I think the problems come if people say, "Well, I'm the one in charge, or I've got the lead," and then they they lead violently. Now I know in what you're saying, you're not saying that. Um, but some of the debates have been around whether there are people who will misread the language about headship or male leadership. Um, in practice, what I think you see in Scripture, when it comes down to decision-making, the only time that a particular decision, domestic decision-making issue is raised in the New Testament is in 1 Corinthians 7, which is um, about a fairly significant attitude, um, issue in, in marriage, which is how often you have sex with each other. And Paul says the male has authority over the woman's body, but the woman has authority over the male's body. So, um, and this is a, an, an issue about whether they actually took time out from sex for a particular period. And, and Paul tends to say, well, you know, maybe by mutual agreement and, uh, and only for a relatively short, relatively short time, but it had to be mutual agreement. So it seems to me that the, 
that um, is different to the to the actual model of the male having the final the final say. I think the basic model of headship is um, based on the idea of, um, if you like, head of a river, which is a source. And Paul uses that um, in one Corinthians eleven, and he and he says, well, you know, that the um, the God is the ultimate source, um, and it's Christ, and then there's a source um, of talks about men and women and but it also says that the male is is from the woman as well and you know the the we're birthed by women etc etc um we, we we all go back to eve as well as adam um and so again um it's used in a mutual kind of way so i think the biblical model is what john howard yoder calls revolutionary subordination um the people who were on the bottom of the ladder in that society, they never got letters, but Paul actually writes to them. And he sp- speaks to them, and they're encouraged to, within the, the hierarchical structure of that society, that ladder, the people on the top, the men, are encouraged to be like Christ and come down the ladder to abandon their power as Christ did and to serve sacrificially. Um, and lovingly as as Christ did, and um, because the governing um, verse is verse twenty one it talks about um, to be um, mutually submissive out of reverence for Christ, be subject to one another out of reverence for christ and then verse twenty two there isn 't even a verb in it, then it says women to your husbands, but the verb is actually in the part that talks about the mutual subjection, male to female female to male, etc. That's the governing, the governing principle. And I think that's the one we've really got to, um, got to focus on most. So we've got mutual submission. And if we were taking something from, from our conversation today about how a marriage relationship might work, that mutual submission is something that is uh, to be held very highly, Gordon. Yeah, and I, and I think people have different ways of doing that because I remember with one job situation, my my wife said, "Look, you're I'm, I'm mainly going to be you know involved with the, with the children at this stage, and this is about a church that we were going to go to," um, and and she said, "Well, you know, you um, you know, we weren't completely decided about it. I prayed and fasted for a day, and." Um, and I came back and said, "Well, look, you know, this is what I think. You know, think we we ought to do." I can remember her saying, "Oh, um, I actually think that we should have we should have re gone over it again." But she she said, "Oh no," I said, "Look, you know, at this stage, I'm going to be mainly looking after the kids, and um, you um, you go ahead and and decide in terms of that that job." Now, obviously, you know that goes with the house where we would move to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, in the end, I don't think that was the best way to do that. It's the only time we've done that, I think, in our married married life, um, because I think it took her a couple of years to kind of... She'd said that with her head, but it could, took a couple of years emotionally, I think, to come to terms with that, and I, I wouldn't do that again. Um, but we've always basically had a you know very equal kind of, kind of marriage, even though I'm still something of a domestic dinosaur in terms of cooking. Um, but I think... We generally wrestle it out together, and sometimes if it matters more to one person than the other, then they may, they may get their way. 
Um, sometimes if that's more their particular gift, they might get that, um, the say in terms of that. Um, it, will, it kind of works its way out over time and in different seasons as well. But overall, it's, it's um, generally, you know, that you, you keep working on it so it's as mutual as, as possible. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. You might have a contribution to our conversation today. Let's take a call from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome back to 2020. Yes, hi. Um, he's, um, is it Gordon, is it? Gordon, um, yep. Yes, yes you're edging, edging around it, but um, I think what you're trying to say too is that these men who uh, go on that verse um, that wives should submit to their husbands, are they coming up to the plate and being, uh, are they ready to die for their wives? And it, maybe not physically, but um, in every other way, are they prepared to be like Christ who sacrificed himself on behalf of his wife, the, the bride of, you know, Christ. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, There's always that underlying understanding, isn't there, for Christian men? And it's not preached on every weekend at church, but there is always this understanding that, uh, that this whole idea of, of Ephesians chapter 5, of a man submitting himself and uh, loving his wife, even as Christ loved the church. Uh, this is a very, very powerful aspect of our Christian faith. Your response to Robin, uh, Gordon? Well, I think we we often sort of take one part of a passage, and uh, and and men have often taken the bit about well, you know, the the male is the, is is the head, and um, and basically they haven't you know taken on sufficiently um, the way Christ has kind of reminted that language again to say you know come down off the ladder um and to serve and 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 love um in a in a sacrificial kind of way and where i think sometimes this becomes really damaging particularly in regards to domestic violence you often hear people talk about well you know just you know go home and and forgive your husband and um, if they've been, you know, people have been counselled that way. You know, that's what's come out in these reports. And and, and I've read uh, material recently by um, Erica Hammonds, who's done a lot of counselling with women who've been, you know, physically and emotionally damaged and, and sometimes damaged for life through this. And And people kind of just say, well, just, you know, go home and forgive your husband, etc., etc. You know, God doesn't like divorce and we, we need to try and keep the, the, the family together. I, I remember um, someone who told me that their kids had had a, had a, had a fight. One, one child had, had, had whacked the other child and the other was about to hit back and they said, oh, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Well, you know, I think that's what often happens in relationship to domestic violence issues. And, and the church has been really naive and, um, and, and sometimes in, in very bad advice has been given to people in situations of real danger and sometimes it's led to death. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Dr. Gordon Priest, our guest, we're talking about domestic violence and the local church, the church in general, the teaching of the church. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Tom in Logan. Hello, Tom. Welcome along. Yes, hello. Um, I was just thinking that if 
if the church is going to be added to on a regular basis, um, it's a problem that's never going to be a, go away, but uh, it's controllable. And I think if we have um, uh, programs like anger management in place, um, it's going to address that quite well. Uh, there's lots of different uh, dimensions to this. Your response, Gordon Priest? Yeah, it's a good um, good angle because, yeah, we, if um, the church is growing, which it's meant, meant to grow, uh, we've basically got to have good processes of discipling going on, and I think that's one of our big problems. We don't. We, we think, oh, someone's through the door, they're coming along regularly, um, it will just trickle down from the sermon, etc., and, and, um, and, and presto, you know, there'll be a good Christian husband or, or, or whatever. And I think, yeah, having things like anger management, um, ways of, of, of teaching people how to be good husbands and, and fathers, I think our, our marriage preparation practices, like I always use a prepare course with, with people, but I think we, we also need other sorts of forms of, of follow-up and um, enrich courses, marriage enrichment courses and things like that. I, I think our discipling practices um, are, are often um, yeah, a bit thin, and that's one of, one of the problems. And if we're going to really try and prevent things like domestic violence, we really need to treat, teach people, and men in particular, how to handle their emotions. Tom from Logan, thanks so much for your good insight there. Uh, we are running short of time now. Uh, drawing attention to some of those statistics we were talking about a little earlier on, uh, the idea of when we focus on the church itself, and there are lots of other comparisons that we can make as we taught, uh, we talked about uh, racially or uh, when it comes to different comparative uh, religious perspectives. But we discovered that if you, people never go to church, the statistics might reflect 11.2% uh, people, uh, and usually men, uh, uh, domestic violence perpetrators. Those who occasionally go to church, uh, 6.2%. Those are the sporadic attenders. And those who regularly go to church down to 2.2%. And taking what you said a little earlier, Gordon Priest, 2.2% is far, far too high. But if you are drawing attention to the value of the local church, there is really here an antidote for domestic violence that's happening when people are committed to the local church. Is that a fair way of, of assessing that? Yeah, certainly if it's, if, it's a, if it's a local church that is acting like a church is meant to be in a Christ-like kind of way, uh, if, it's, if it's teaching um, properly about male and female and if it's... Um, and, and mutual submission, and it's teaching things like anger management and those sorts of things, then one of the best things you could do is be, encourage people from um, sporadic attendance to, to regular attendance, at least according to that, that particular study that's, that's cited. I think we, need, we, we do need more research. Um, we do need and RASP, um, the centre that, I, that I, I run is um, yeah, one of the possible research projects we will do. We'll look at the things various churches are doing. And uh, as I said, the Prevention of Violence Against Women program through the Melbourne Anglican Diocese, people can go online, look at um, Prevent, basically, on, online. Um, that helps people um, not to just be bystanders. 
um, but to actually intervene um, when necessary if someone's, you know, being verbally abusive or, or whatever, um, where we see things that, that really do make us wonder what might be going on. Um, so, um, and uh, I know Common Ground, um, there's a great list of various things that churches could do so that we can, so that we can make our churches safe spaces um, so that they can, um, people who are in those situations can come and confidentially um, disclose what's going on. They can be supported, they can be counselled, they can um, yeah, be provided with, with um, safe spaces. And so I think there are a range of, of things that churches can do so that, yeah, let's, let's um, you know, I know they have houses for people suffering domestic violence. Let's, in a larger sense, try and get to the point where the church will be seen as a really, really safe place for women and, and, and those and families and who, are, who are victims of, of domestic violence. Gordon, uh, just a quick response. A real rubber-hits-the-road issue here. And given that there's been a blowtorch on the church uh, and talk about domestic violence, uh, is it a good or safer thing to marry a Christian man? Your thoughts? Well, if we... T- not just someone who's nominally um, saying that they're a Christian man, that seems to be the evidence you know, uh, from those statistics, but someone who is, and, and, and I wouldn't even just say who's, who's a regular churchgoer, although I would say that's important, but someone who over time you see the character of Christ being worked out um, who, in their lives, who you see someone who's willing to be accountable, who's willing to have... Um, mutual submission in their marriage um who you see in the way they look after their their family of origin and pay respect to their mother and to their sisters and to women in general um those are the sorts of things that you ought to be looking for um as as signs of uh, of a man's Christ likeness uh, well gordon great insights today thanks so much for uh, taking us a step deeper in our appreciation and understanding of what it is uh, to understand uh, what the church teaches uh, what the bible teaches when it comes to uh, issues like marriage uh, and uh, really appreciating your wonderful way that you're able to illustrate uh, by saying uh, that the Trinity is uh, an example of the way uh, that the, that uh, multiple uh, personalities can work together equally so well. Uh, I'll point people to the Ethos website. Simply Google Ethos, E-T-H-O-S, that is the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Lots of great articles that will be scholarly articles, good research on a whole lot of different levels and different dimensions and different topics that are things that are shaping our society today. Gordon Priest, thanks so much for taking some time to to share your heart with us on 2020. Thanks very much, Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.